Hello, this is Doug Farrar, NFL editor of Touchdown Wire for the USA Today Sports Media Group. And uh, in the Touchdown Wire podcast, here we have a very special guest, longtime NFL and college and CFO coach, June Jones, a provocateur of the run and shoot offense for a very long time. Uh, coach, I had, wrote a book called The Genius of Desperation a few years ago, which was kind of a schematic history of pro football and, and intertwined you and Mouse Davis and all that. So it's, it's a real pleasure to talk to you. I want to start with, uh, if you could tell me about your work with Coach Tube, which seems like a natural fit, and we're all fans of Coach Tube here, um, how that started and, and how that's been going for you. Well, uh, yeah, I, I was, got involved in that when we had the uh, kind of the, the in-between seasons of the XFL and, and so on. And so uh, one of my coaches uh, uh, said that, uh, you know, you need to go online and look at a couple of these uh, things, the air raid, uh, what he did with the air raid. I, I would like you and Mouse to, uh, to uh, be able to get on there so that high school coaches and college coaches, and I've even had two pro coaches call me from the NFL off of the, off of the tube. So, so uh, Mouse is, uh, you know, almost 90 years old. Uh, I think he is 90 and uh, he's not going to be here much longer. And so we, we met in Portland, Oregon, uh, where we both uh, are from and we uh, rented a room in an empty hotel because COVID had taken over. So we, we ended up putting together uh, what I think is a pretty good uh, piece of information that, that a young coach uh, could certainly uh, value. People may or may not know about Mouse Davis. I mean, how influential has he been to the game of football and how influential, obviously, has he been to you as a, as a player, a coach, everything? Well, to me, he's the reason that I uh, made it uh, in the league. Uh, I, I played uh, four years of college football and never got in a game and transferred. Mouse talked me into to playing for him and that changed my life completely. Uh, and then... I think Mouse uh, probably has changed the game of football. Uh, I mean, well, let's just say when we went to the pros, uh, nobody was lining up in four wide receivers or five wide receivers. And, and the things that we did uh, have changed the game. Now, I would say it's the, the, the formation alone is, is the, uh, um, you know, probably number one uh thing that everybody lines up in uh, you watch arizona play you watch even uh tampa and new england uh they're in three wides and a tight end or four wides or five wides pretty much the whole game and uh so mouse i think you know 30 40 years ago started all that <clears throat> and then i i took it to the national football league in 1987 with jerry glanville and uh the rest the uh, rest is really history it's funny how that's just it went from Tiger Ellison to Mouse and then to you and other offshoots and, you know, Gilbride with the Giants, which I'll ask you about in a minute. Um, and like you said, today, so many, you know, three by one is kind of the standard. You get that Chiefs thing where they got Kelsey as the YISO and Tyreek Hill in the inside slot and good luck defending that. Um, it's also so much more quick game. I mean, like 60% zero to three step drops. And you get a lot of that out of, you know, pistol or whatever. But how have you seen the NFL – even in the last five years, sort of intersperse what you guys were doing all along? Well, I, like I said, I think pretty much every NFL team is doing just what you said. They get the ball out fast. They know where the free guys are uh, in the blitz and dogs because they have to tell you when you spread the formation. And, uh, you know, uh, 
I'm watching Kansas City with great interest because to me, they're doing a lot of what Mouse did in the 60s and 70s. And Tiger, if you really go look at Tiger Ellison's book, all that fly motion, all that short motion, those sweeps and all those different things, that's Tiger Ellison football, which was the original run and shoot. And uh, they've done a great job of, of putting the skill players that are that are exactly what Mouse did a little shorter maybe but faster and all those guys can just fly yeah i have run and shoot football back here i should have put it up oh wait here it is yeah right there go on get this kids run and shoot football there you go <laughs> there's the plug for today um i wanted to ask you uh, atypically a defensive question Mm-hmm. and I'm interested in your rookie season with the Falcons in 1977. You had Jerry Glanville as your defensive backs coach, and the best NFL defense that nobody ever talks about was Brits Blitz, obviously. Set, I think, the 14-game record for points allowed. Um, just a crazy defense. Why was that defense so great? I mean, it, you know, it, it fell into relative obscurity, but talk a little bit about what you saw. You were on the other side of the ball, obviously, but you got to see that every day. What was that defense like? Why was it so great? That's a great question. <clears throat> when I, I was the fourth quarterback in 1977, so I wasn't going to get in a game. I actually <clears throat> went in Jerry Glanville's room. He was the defensive coordinator at the time. And I sat in the back and I knew, I knew what I was going to coach eventually. And I knew I was going to run the offense that I, that I've run forever, but I wanted to learn defense. So I sat in there and uh, actually sat in their meetings more than I did the offensive meetings. And then I ran the scout team against them. Uh, That defense, in fact, they talk about the the bears in, in 85 or 86 when they, they won the Super Bowl, and buddy Ryan will, Guess what? Buddy Ryan kind of stole all the concepts from Jerry Glanville. In fact, if you go back and look at the at the grit splits, the free safeties, uh, you know, in the A gap, we're dogging. Everybody's on appeal, and basically, it was a three-four defense. But at the same time, uh, those ends uh, played as if that it was a bear defense. In other words, they read the guards and 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 went different ways. Nobody was ever doing that. Um, I think the the I finally got in a game uh, in 1977, that last game. I think I was through a pass even. I was so scared of throwing a pick because we were right on the, the, the number of being the, the fewest points ever scored mm. in ball. And I didn't want to throw an interception and go back that way. So I, I made sure I didn't throw it downfield at all overthrew a back and I completed a swing route, I think for minus one yard. Yeah. One, uh, one pass, one, one completion uh, on one attempt for minus one yard. You did have a quarterback rating of 79.2 though. So that's pretty good. <clears throat> well, that was, uh, that was uh, one of the best defenses. We all, they all could run that like Robert Pennywell and uh, uh, we had an outside linebacker uh, uh, Williams that, that, Actually, they were the first kind of backers that could run, you know, four or five or better. And uh, so we had great team speed. And that's that's uh, that's why we uh, why we played so good. Uh, Yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this uh, pro football reference recently uh, put up the sack totals, you know, done a lot of research with uh, John Turney from uh, Pro Football Journal and all that. So you can look at the sack totals. I mean, Jeff Merrow, who 
most people haven't heard of had 10 sacks that season for, you know, Claude Humphrey, we know about him, but a lot of guys who, you know, Pennywell's there too, had uh, what, two interceptions, three sacks. So a lot of stuff. So when you say bear, were you guys, were you doing like hat over center and uh, outside the guards in a sub that it was the same kind of 46 personnel? It was basically 46 personnel. Yes. But, but it was a three, four defense. Our, our two, uh, our two defensive ends lined up in what we call, you know, four eyes basically, and they read the guard. So, so if, if the guard, came out to them they went one way if the guard went away they pinched down inside and uh and uh, we called it a zip read and jeff merrill and uh, um our other uh, defensive end at that time i can't think of his name right at the moment my mind is is a shot but but they uh were the run stoppers basically i mean they 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 just shut down the run and, uh, and and anything that went uh, away, uh, we were bringing the outside backers pretty much all the time, one or both. And uh, any run away, those guys just cut it and could catch it from behind, basically, before it even got to the line. I think uh, it was the fewest yards rushing, too, I think, uh, that defense had. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm going to look at that right now. Uh, let's see. Rushing yards. You guys allowed uh, eighteen hundred and fifty-eight. You allowed five touchdowns. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> it was a it was a no-name defense, but it was Jerry Glanville's invention, and uh, you know he still does uh, a lot of what he did back then. Uh, now he he coached in that spring league, uh, uh, and he coached uh, in the XFL as well. And I probably know. Uh, his defense more than anything. And, and we got that first time I ever went against him was when I was in the XFL, he was at Tampa as defensive coordinator. And uh, we ended up, I, I, I knew some things, you know, that I, sh- that most guys don't know. And uh, we ended up uh, lucky. We beat him, I think 37 to 27 or something like that. So you went all John Gruden against the Raiders in that Super Bowl. It's like, I got your checks. I got your everything. Here we go. Why? I mean, because you obviously work with Glanville. For, why did you two connect the way you did? What was that? Done? <clears throat> um, well, when I was uh, uh, coming out at Portland State, uh, Jerry Glanville just happened to be in the room with a guy named John North, who used to be the head coach at New Orleans Saints. He was the running back coach. And uh, John North was watching this, uh, watching me, and he said to Jerry, Jerry, you got to come in here and look at this kid. Uh, you know, we threw it 60, 70 times a game. And, and uh, uh, obviously, you know, he got a lot of looks at me throwing the football. And so um, Jerry went into Lehman Bennett and, uh, and uh, uh, Eddie, Eddie LeBert and basically – showed him the tape and said, we need to get this guy. Well, I had played six years of college football at that time. Uh, Mouse had got me another year of eligibility for one of the ones that I didn't play. And uh, there was no rule for uh, six-year free agents at that time. So I was the first legitimate free agent. I was flying to Seattle, going to Kansas City, going to Atlanta, going to Miami, and kind of like they do free agents right now. Well, when I got to Atlanta, uh, Eddie LeBaron, came to me and said, hey, or the hotel, and he said, look, they, they uh, just just uh, changed the rule. They added fifth, uh, six-year players, 
have to go through the draft. So, you know, we can't sign you. I said, well, let's predate the contract. I said, I've been here since yesterday. Let's just predate it and you just send it in. Uh, and, uh, and, that, and that's how I ended up in Atlanta. <laughs> I didn't have to go through the draft. And uh, I don't think any other college kids uh, had, has had that happen to them. I want to ask you some questions about run and shoot and air raid and all that. Um, for, for the casual football fan, even the informed football fan, the stuff you've run and, you know, Mouse ran and, and Tiger Ellison ran, just the, the evolution of it. If you were to be asked, you know, in a sort of nutshell, what is the run and shoot? Okay, well, uh, certainly what, what, what I have evolved to is a little bit of Mouse, uh, a little bit my own, some Bill Walsh stuff. Bill used to come to Hawaii all the time uh, the last uh, 10 or 12 years of his life. And spend uh, pretty much all day together for a couple of weeks and uh, and we look at our stuff and he had some uh he had some uh things that he thought would make certain things better which they did and so i kind of you know stole from him and stole from mouse um i think the number one thing different and i think bill even noticed that our receivers read coverage just like the quarterback does and that's the biggest difference. Now, some offenses do that, but uh, most offenses uh, don't do it all the time. We right. do it all the time. Uh, so the route is going to change off what the defense uh, does. So basically, you got the chalk last uh, uh, on offense, and you're going to, if you see it, you're going to uh, be right every time. And the quarterback, I think every quarterback that has played for me, has had their best uh, year uh, statistically. And I think the reason for that is that we merely take a lot of the, the pressure off of that quarterback. All he has to do is go through a progression, okay? So, so uh, if you're three by one or two by two, he has one guy he has to read. Is that guy open? Throw him the ball. If he isn't, then go to number two. Go to number three, go to number four. And so uh, it's merely... Uh, uh, a progression that the receivers are reading the coverage and going to get in the right spot. So once you have those four guys seeing everything, just like the quarterback sees uh, the one guy that he has to read, um, then we're, we're, we're going to move the ball on you. The story of the origin of the, the option route, it may or may not be apocryphal, is that Tiger Ellison was watching kids in a playground just adjust off, you know, maybe fifth, sixth grade kids, you know, kids running a route. Oh, guy's going this way. I'm going to go that way. And you said, hey, I should do that. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's and certainly, you know, in the Bill Walsh era, I mean, I, you know, they ran, I know, in the. The Super Bowl against second Super Bowl against Cincinnati. I think uh, I think Taylor's touchdown was an option route. Sid Gilman had some of it, but teams didn't really run it the way like the Patriots have. You know, you look at their playbook; they've got option routes all over the place. In that era, it really wasn't done a lot, was it? No, it wasn't. In fact, uh, I can remember when I was a rookie in 1977. Uh, the next year, I think it was 78, we drafted uh, Junior Miller from Nebraska. He's six five, could run four five, tight end. And I could remember uh, we had this routes, which everybody had at that time. The backs run flats or swings. Everybody runs curls. And so the curls would uh, convert. I said, why don't, why don't we convert? If it goes cover two, uh, you get a corner roll, change it to a corner route and let the tight end read the middle of the field. 
if it goes cover two and it opens up, he goes straight down the middle of the field. And so Steve Barkowski, I, I, I know that year put Junior Miller in the Pro Bowl just off that one route that was converted because he's so fast and so big, no linebacker could run with him. And uh, uh, that's where we that, – that was – I give Dick uh, – I give the coaches, uh, you know, uh, a lot of uh, credit for listening at that time because that was a big change uh, to what they were doing. Jimmy Ray was one of them. Dick Wood was a, was another one. And uh, um, because of that, I listened to my players all the time, too. Uh, you know, a lot of the adjustments we make in the run and shoot are because, uh, you know, coverage has changed. Like, like I, can, I can remember we played the Dallas Cowboys in a preseason game. And, I don't know, we went, went over 50 points. And Jerry made me stop throwing the ball. Uh, you know, let's just run it. So we just basically ran out the, the game. And then we went back uh, the next year. So that was Tom Landry's. And then then the next year, uh, um, Jimmy Johnson put in four, four deep. Mm-hmm. And so we had never seen four deep because we're reading scenes, reading middle safety, reading all this thing. So now we had to uh, add something else that you do versus four deep as you're running down the field. And that, that kind of changed because I, I would ask the players, you think you can see this. If he does this, you do that. If he does this in four deep and plays this shade, do this. And so we, you know, the players gave me feedback. And so a lot of the reads that we do now against four deep um, in our quarter, quarter half are, are, uh, routes that the receivers uh, said to me, yes, I could see that. And so we put them in. You, uh, thank you for the segue, because one of the questions I was going to ask you, I, I'm not sure about the college numbers, but um, quarters in the NFL over the last three years has doubled, the, the, just the percentage. Cover six, obviously, with Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio has become kind of a thing. Um, why do you think, cause you know, cover four used to be a bigger thing and it kind of went away with Seattle and everyone wanted to go single hat. Why do you think quarters has made such a comeback in the NFL? To, you know, they, 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 they play quarters to defend the run is, is really why. Um, and, and they, you know, safeties are down in the, in those holes really fast. If, if a hole pops open, they can fill it real fast with, with one of those, half safety or quarter safeties. And uh, I think that also with the, with the combination, they can make quarters <clears throat> by just cheating down a little bit. They can blitz you and then just go man to man. So the four deep looks like blitz. They try to make those two look a lot the same. Um, now they'll, they'll also, as you know, go uh, make the, the, the half field look is now Tampa too most of the time, you know, with the backer being basically, I call it three deep. And, I, and we read it three deep because that's really what it is. It's, it's three deep, but it just happens to be two corners are, are rolling and have a flat. And so we read that linebacker the same way we used to read if it was just a free safety in the, in the middle of the field. So all the receivers in the seams are reading that guy. If they can get on top of him, they go. But if they can't, then they're going to find a hole. And uh, um, I think that that has helped us immensely that we – we were way ahead of the game when that Tampa two came, came into play. There's a, uh, there's a myth that's, 
I'm sure you've heard it. I don't know if it annoys you or not. There's this myth in the NFL, the zone blitz killed the run and shoot. Is there any truth to that? Well, you can ask Dick LeBeau that. I, I have <laughs> in a file. He said we were harder to get to than any team he played. And, and uh, um, the zone blitz just opened up bigger holes is all it did. Uh, we were one of the few teams that could protect against it. Dick, Dick was sacking people everywhere. And he, he didn't get to us very often. And we hit all those things. And a lot of those uh, things that you talked about earlier, the quick throws, you know, we, we get our ball out on zone blitzes on the third step. You can be free on the backside of that. Can't get there. You can't get there. So, uh, you know, like I said, I think we we're a little bit ahead of the game on this zone blitz stuff. We were, we were seeing it in the seventies and really it didn't get its notoriety, notoriety really until maybe the, the uh, late eighties, but we were seeing all those weird things all the time. Um, uh, and, and we, you know, we knew how to handle, basically. Yeah, there's, and I know Ron Jaworski and Greg Cosell and Greg Plott talked about this in the game, the change of the game. There's tape of, like, the Patriots running zone blisses in 1964. So, you know, every, everything has different origins. When you got to the Oilers to work with Jerry Glanville, what was that like? And what was it like working with Warren Moon and Jeffries and kind of the four-receiver set? I mean, how revolutionary was that? And what was sort of the, the league reaction to, oh, my gosh, this whole new thing? <clears throat> well, the, the Oilers did a great job of putting uh, skill players around Warren once we went to what we do. And we, we drafted fast guys. Uh, Drew Hill, we traded for Drew Hill. Um, and he, he was maybe one of the best slots that I ever had. He had never played in the slot. He played as a wide receiver uh, for the Rams. Uh, as, as on a two-by-two two, uh, side. So what happened was um, when I got there in uh, January, uh, I, I talked with Lad Herzag and Bud, and, and, of course, Jerry knew me. He wanted to hire me, but they, did, they didn't know if I was uh, old enough or, or experienced enough to, you know, to, to be able to coach uh, in the NFL. So they flew me down there. I talked through, did my deal, and um, – Lad Herzag uh, was going to trade Warren Moon to the uh, Raiders. Uh, Al wanted it. And uh, I can remember I just came down from Canada a couple years earlier, played against Warren, knew him. And then I watched all the film uh, of the year, three years that Hugh Campbell was at the Oilers, and Warren just got killed. I mean, he, I, I want to say, I'm thinking the last game uh, of the year before I got there, Warren got sacked 15 times against the Cowboys. I, 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 I mean, and and he got full on uh, helmet in the face after every throw. I mean, it was the most brutal ass kicking I'd ever seen a quarterback. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I, I remember, you know, they were saying, well, he's scared, he's scared. I said, no wonder he's scared. I mean, look, look at this film. So I talked Lad in to let me at least work with him in the OTAs in, in, uh, in the spring, and, uh, uh, which we did uh, quite a bit back then. You know, we had seven-on-sevens and one-on-ones and everything. And, and I uh, took Warren and talked him into not trading him after OTAs because he still wanted him out. I said, let me, let's go through preseason and see how you know, it goes, make your decision as we go. Well, Warren. I knew it was going to excel in what we did. I mean, I just knew it. He was so accurate with the ball. And uh, uh, 
he got the ball out. He knew he knew he now knew kind of the progression, so he could get the ball out quickly. And we had a we had a really good football team. I mean, I want to say they went from the worst in in the league to to making the playoffs, and uh, and uh, we were one of the top offensive teams uh, in football uh, over the next couple of years. And then I left and went to Detroit, and Kevin Gilbride uh, took over uh, for uh, with Jerry because I I I told. Uh, you know, I had talked to Kevin back when he was at Boston College and he was at uh, another school in Tennessee. Uh, and I told him, Jerry, I said, I think this guy knows the offense uh, like, you know, he could, could certainly run it. So Jerry didn't even know who he was and hired him because he wanted to continue to to run, uh, run our offense. Um, so that's kind of. Yeah. Kinda the, go ahead. I said that was kind of the Oilers. Kevin completely went to total run and shoot when Jack Pardee got the head job. Right. Uh, which, of course, uh, rubbed Buddy Ryan the wrong way, uh, all together famously. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> week four in the 1985 season, uh, Cowboys beat the Oilers 17-10. to 10. Warren Moon went 11 for 26, 215 yards, one touchdown, four interceptions, 12 sacks officially. Okay, there we go. That's nasty. That's yeah. Um, and I was going to ask you about the CFL because, and, and I would watch it later. Um, it seemed like they had a lot of spread concepts, a lot of air raid, a lot of run and shoot. And I don't know if because you can do different things with motion, but did that, were there sort of spread or air raid or run and shoot or whatever you want to call it aspects to the CFL at that point that helped Warren acclimate to what you wanted to do? I think it probably did. Uh, you know, he's familiar with the spread formations more than he was two tight ends and two backs and, and all that stuff. Um, so I, I think, you know, Warren came down, even having a lot of success in Canada, he came into the league truly as a rookie because he wasn't running the running the same thing that he had, had run. And so he, those were kind of like what used to happen to, to rookie quarterbacks when you put it, forced them into to the league quickly. Um, but, but Warren had, Warren was tough and accurate and uh, he had all the, the, uh, he had all the skills to be a hall of famer for sure. Uh, I want to ask you about another quarterback, Jeff George, and we all know about the sideline thing. And if you want to talk about that or not, your prerogative, but what, uh, you know, that, because it worked for a while and it worked really well. And, you know, Jeff George's, you know, his history is interesting. What was your experience like working with him? Well, um, he's the, he's the most accurate passer and, and quickest release. And, and I mean, he, he, well, you go look, I don't know. You have probably have his stats right there, but I want to say in 95, uh, we had, we had, uh, we're the only team to have five players over a thousand yards on the same team. And uh, uh, Jeff threw for four forty five hundred or so. Uh, his highest completion percentage, I think, was with with us. Um, that situation was just unfortunate, uh, you know. And Jeff and I, in fact, I talked to Jeff yesterday actually about his son Jaden uh, uh, trying to find him a spot uh, leaving Alabama. And so we, you know, we we are good friends still. And that was just an unfortunate situation. And. And if you ask Jeff about it now, he'll tell you that he wishes that, you know, that he had not done what he'd done and, and, and played in my offense and for me uh, for, for, the, for his whole career. 
uh, and I wish he would have too, uh, but, but it just didn't, you know, that, that situation had to be handled the way it did. Otherwise you lose the whole team. Yeah. And, uh, um, I think that he, uh, had he stayed, uh, in my offense, the, his numbers would be untouchable. I mean, the, the, you know, he, he, he's, he's that good throwing the football. Yeah, in 95, you had Eric Metcalf, Bert Emanuel, and Terrence Mathis all over 1,000 receiving yards. Then you had Ironhead Hayward. Uh, yeah, his, his only year, he went over 400 yards rushing. Yeah, so that, I mean, and that's kind of, you know, everyone assumes, and you had, you know, running game at SMU, everyone assumes you never run the ball yeah. in this kind of offense, which obviously isn't true. I kind of want him to think that. Yeah. Uh, so. Because we do. I mean, uh, Zach Line rushed almost broke Eric Dickerson's record. If he hadn't hurt his foot in the last game, he would have. And then uh, uh, Ironhead, I want to say, had almost 1,100 yards and made the Pro Bowl for his only time that he did in his career. So, so I mean, that's just just think of that right now. With all this being done in the league since that '95 season, nobody has broken that record. Uh, it still stands. And the rule changes and the formations and everything that's that everybody's running now. There's never been five players go over a thousand yards. Yeah. <clears throat> when you look at um, Gilbride ran that offense with the Giants uh, to two Super Bowls. You look at the Chiefs where Andy got fired in Philadelphia and then he started talking to Childress about spread game coordinator. He brought Chris Alt in. He did, did all these different things. Um, kind of a twofold question here. How gratifying is it to see these? aspects of what you all did persevere in the NFL and expand and do NFL coaches today reach out to you to kind of get that insight of, Hey, we're doing this, but what if we did that? You know, uh, Kevin Gilbride ran our offense at Jacksonville too, and took him to the Super Bowl. I think it was with the left-handed uh, Brunel. Uh, wasn't it the quarterback at that time? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think they got to the AFC championship. AFC championship. Yeah. And, and they were like, I think 12 and four uh, and, and won their division, but they, they uh, also ran it there. And that's why uh, Coughlin, uh, when he got the job in uh, at the giants took, took Kevin up there with him. Uh, so, so Kevin used tight ends uh, as slots. He went tight end three wides and he went four wide some, but they also, uh, ran a lot of other things, but Kevin uh, really had a lot of success uh, uh, running our base concepts at the Giants. It is gratifying to see those things happening. Um, it's gratifying, uh, you know, to, to get calls. Uh, um, I talked to Brian Dabal in uh, uh, Buffalo, and they actually have uh, a run and shoot package because uh, they got Beasley and they got Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, two guys that know a lot of the keys. In fact, I go online and see what they're doing. And and uh, Emmanuel or Bees, I guess, told me they have something called the Mustang package, and that that is uh, the concepts of streak, switch, choice, go that they run. Uh, uh, and and that quarterback from Wyoming, <clears throat> he's gotten better and better and better. And I think a lot of that is because of the quick throws that you're talking about getting the ball out. And then he has the uh, accuracy now down the field. I was not coming out of Wyoming. I was, that's the only thing that concerned me was that, was he going to be accurate enough down the field? And uh, I think last year that, that he proved that he is. 
Uh, he, he got yeah. Oh, Josh Allen got a ton better. I'm, I'm not sure about five. I know they ran more four receiver sets than any other team. And that Josh Allen season was kind of because early on, he was just – they were playing on a man against him, which I don't know why you would play a bunch of man against a big athletic quarterback. That's just mean. He was ripping man to bits with Devil doing what he did. And there was kind of that three-game stretch where they were doing a lot of switches and his head kind of exploded. So they went quick game underneath, just get your bearings. And then it seemed like about halfway through the season, he just got it, like, went on, and, and there you go. So, yeah, the Bills, that's that's a really good example of kind of um, – I have a couple of questions from my colleague Mark Schofield who really wanted to be in on this. Uh, Mark played quarterback at Wesleyan, so he knows more about this than I do. But he, he, he wanted to know about – you gave a clinic in 2006 where you talked about the levels concept and how it has so many different ways to beat defenses – and I have a feeling he's going to write an article about this based on your answer, uh, knowing Mark. What is it about levels that stresses defenses almost regardless of coverage? Well, <clears throat> uh, the levels concept I've stole from uh, 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 Ted Marshbroda, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 he was uh, he and uh, the other guy that was at Indianapolis that went to Buffalo for where Jim Kelly, I played, played for us at the Gamblers. And so I watched Buffalo uh, that year uh, or those four or five years real closely. And Levels was uh, uh, something that we, we had not done. But, but I watched, and once, once I had time to talk to Jim Kelly about it, uh, the, the reads off of it, the ball comes out quickly, okay? And it's easy concepts for the quarterback uh, as well. Is that guy open uh, off of the one guy you're reading? He is throwing the ball. Uh, if you elect that, that that guy's not open before the ball is snapped, then read the backside inside linebacker. If he does this, hit this guy. If he does that, hit that guy. And so <coughs> that concept for the quarterback is real easy. At the same time, he gets the ball going out fast, and, it's, and if you make a guy miss on the, on the catch, it's a big play. Right. And even though they're short routes, now we kind of added to that um, the levels. We had level special, which meant now the inside guy had the twelve, and this guy had the the uh, the the five yard under. And so we gave we added levels, and we we put in the run and shoot stuff now. That rather than run that twelve yard in over the top of the inside backer, you you go ahead and read the top of the coverage like mm-hmm. you did. Uh, choice so so now if they went cover two he had the option to take a post down the middle and the quarterback could could put that on him so so it was all those concepts uh looking like run and shoot stuff but levels had a whole different uh, a whole different feel in fact i can remember one game in hawaii uh we were going to go no huddle in the in the uh uh first drive and i told colt I said, you just take it at the line and call levels all the way until they stop us. We went all the way down the field and uh, scored a touchdown on about the eighth play. And uh, uh, we didn't huddle and we just ran levels. Uh, And he could go special or regular or change. And uh, at that time, we used to give a signal to what we wanted outside to the the receiver on the the, uh, right, the single receiver could look and tell the quarterback, he, he'd give him a signal, well, I'm going to run an out, I'm going to run a post, I'm going to run a curl, I'm going to run a nine. 
So he would signal to the quarterback what he wanted to do. The quarterback didn't have to throw it, but if he wanted to, he could. So choice off of levels, that's diabolical. Did you, um, because I know Arians loves to run, he'll run levels to the front side, then a a quick crosser, uh, just like like the hot to the back. Would you guys do stuff like that? Uh, we did not get into that. I was always on to the levels was on the back side of it, okay. but, but uh, we did some things that looked like levels started out like levels on the trip side, but it wasn't, uh, they weren't running the, the 12 and in the five and under and all that. You mentioned Colt Brennan. Uh, tell me about him. But obviously very sad news this year. Yeah, that was a tough one. Uh, he probably, uh, had he not gotten into all the off-field issues, he would have made it. Uh, he was as accurate a passer as I, I'd ever been around and, and had the ability to create plays within the pocket. Uh, and the thing I liked about him, he could run, but he always was moving, looking to throw it before uh, to run. And so, therefore, he created a lot of plays uh, when things broke down. Um, his stats... Uh, you can go back and double check him in the NFL. I think he played only in preseason and he was 44 of 51. Uh, I think 12 touchdowns, no picks, eight touchdowns and no picks. And, and you look at those stats, no other rookie has anything like that uh, and get cut. So I talked to Jim Zorn. I talked to uh, Shanahan and, Basically, it was the nightclubs and the off-field stuff that got him in, uh, off. Uh, not his play, that's for sure. In fact, I still remember watching them play uh, in the preseason game, and John Madden was just beside himself on on this kid, Colt Brennan. In fact, it's still on YouTube. You can you can pull that up, I'm sure. But his comments were, "Who is this guy? This guy's uh, this throw. Look at that throw. Look at this throw." But that's just how Colt was. You mentioned uh, running to throw. Uh, it's something. There's a lot of debate with Mac Jones, and it, it's it's kind of why evaluating him. It kind of it gave me pause because in today's NFL, with you know the fronts are so advanced, there's so much pressure going on. Can you win as a quarterback? Can you consistently win in the NFL as a quarterback without section rea- second reaction ability or that ability to move? Because everyone talks about Brady. Brady's Brady. I mean, that, that, that's one. Um, can you come into the NFL and win today? You don't have to be Michael Vick, but without some sort of second reaction ability. Can you, can, is that even possible anymore? I, I think the system has to be set up uh, for, to give the quarterback the ability to do that. And to, so to answer your question, I say, yes, you can. Uh, in fact, if you really go back and look at Tom Brady when he was at New England, he had a great movement in the pocket. You know, he saw a free guy here, slide up, slide over. He did all those things. And so if you have a guy that can do that, which I, I'm like you, I, I think I was the first one uh, to say that Mac Jones is a uh, NFL. He may be the best player in this draft. And I still am going to say that until somebody proves me wrong, but I'm reading everything in new England, in new England right now, the players are saying that he is, the best and so <clears throat> it's not going to surprise me when when he walks in and and does what he did at Alabama just like he, he's going to do at New England he's seen it he knows it he uh, has that ability to move in the pocket mm-hmm. and he's not a runner 
but he can move and slide and he finds guys to put the ball on and his accuracy is ridiculous i've never seen a guy over 20 yards as accurate as he is yeah so and that, that, you're really good with segues i was going to ask you about kind of the the quarterbacks in this class would he be your qb1 out of the 2021 class yes he would be yeah um uh, i i i like the kid at clemson i think he's a you know i like the kid at ohio state but they are not running nfl offenses they are merely a play action and got one guy to throw to most of the time. They don't read defense. In fact, when you, when you saw uh, uh, the kid from uh, Ohio state uh, field back and throw and read coverage and two minute drills and stuff, he struggled. And uh, uh, I'm not so sure that uh, the Clemson kid won't have some success because uh, urban has, has had, uh, him in that offense, or basically they're running Urban's offense uh, when they were at Clemson. <clears throat> and so uh, I'm sure they'll have some things in there that he'll feel comfortable with. But even him, when you just drop back five steps or, or uh, uh, you know, in the shotgun and have to make decisions off coverage, he's going to be a rookie. I mean, he's going to be a rookie because he's not had to do that before. So when you have a guy, you're you're the quarterback coach, you're the OC. You have a guy who did not read NFL defenses at in college or anything close to it, anything approximating that. He's now your quarterback, whether you like it or not. How do you transition him to be able to be functional in the league? <clears throat> That's a good question because it doesn't happen very often anymore. Now, <laughs> number one draft pick usually you sat on the bench for three or four years in the eighties or seventies and, and learned how to play the game. They don't give you that freedom anymore. Now, if you're a high draft pick, you're, you're in the game right away and you have to learn the game as you play the game, which, which is hard to do. And that's why I'm saying the, these guys are going to have difficulty where I think Mac Jones is running the same offense at new England that he did at Alabama. So he's, he knows, I mean, he's doing the same things at New England that he was doing in college, where those other quarterbacks are not doing the same things they did in college. They have to learn a new offense like the rookies did 20 years ago. <clears throat> so you better put in some things that if you're going to be forced to start that guy, you better run the ball, uh, play, play action pass, and get the ball out quick on some things that he doesn't have to read real fast. Uh, final question for you. And thanks again for doing this. Um, and I, I like to ask people I talk to on the podcast this question because everyone has different answers. If you were to fast forward to 2025, think of different schematic trends you might have seen at the high school or college level because everything sort of comes up from there. What do you think schematically will be happening in the NFL that either isn't happening at all now or isn't happening a lot and is going to kind of take over? You know, um, uh, I think the empty set is gonna is gonna be more prevalent than than ever before. Uh, I think that the teams are understanding how easy it is to know where the free rusher is, and they always now that you you get no back in there, and you, know, you go four wides and a tight end with no back. I mean that is something crazy. They're so fast the receivers the quarterbacks can all run so the that scares them to death in the empty you know when you're empty the defensive if they don't uh 
outnumber you on a side in the empty set, the quarterback pulling the ball down and running, if you're playing man-to-man, there's your, there's your rush. So I kind of see the empty set probably going to be uh, more used. And, and one of the teams that is really doing that a lot is Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that quarterback gets the ball. He knows he can get away from a rush. He can do a, a lot of different things. So, so um, I, think he, that, I think we're going to see more of that personally. When you look at how defenses, and I've talked to different high school and college coaches, and the word that generally comes up when we're talking about NFL defenses is homogenous. But a lot of high school and college coaches are, and it's it's a different. I mean, obviously you're dealing with you know more advanced schemes, better players, and, and all that. But I've talked to a lot of high school and college coaches who are surprised that the NFL isn't taking more defensively from guys like Aranda and, and whoever is how to stop these offenses that are becoming more expansive. What are your thoughts about how defense is played against these sort of, you know, everything old is new again, they're not new offenses because you know that better than anyone, but as far as how NFL defense is done generally now, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, I tend to agree that they're, they're, you know, like to watch uh the kid, the quarterback from Louisville in, in uh, Baltimore. Uh, Lamar. Or, yeah, Lamar. That they're actually running that offense. So it's it. I mean, the the offense that he's run, where, where he is, the uh, you know, an option to pull it or or give it and all, all that and be the runner. Which I think he's going to get killed here uh, uh, pretty soon. Somebody's going to finally uh, manage to to uh, take take a, a quarterback out. But but they were now kind of defensively forced to defend that because of him and some of the other uh, teams uh, have, you know, um, implemented some of those uh, concepts, but not all. Uh, so the, all defenses are, have to have an answer for, for Lamar uh, and the way he plays. And so that's forcing them to be a little bit more, uh, like a college team, they're going to have to practice it. It's kind of like when you used to put in the wishbone. The wishbone always beat up everybody else because you never practiced against it, you know, and that's kind of what's happened with, with Lamar. Uh, so I think as the years go by and the teams are together uh, better, they're obviously going to be more like a, a Dave Miranda or, or, or a college coach that defends that every week uh, and, and put those concepts in. Um, but, you know, I think that's just a fad right now. Personally, uh, I, I don't see the NFL switching to uh, that whole scheme, you know, uh, because, first of all, quarterbacks are your most valuable player. Yeah. And risking him in that, uh, I don't think is smart. Uh, so, I know you're in Hawaii, not a bad life. Uh, what do you do in football-wise, besides Coach Duke? Um I do uh, some stuff here with uh, St. Louis High School. Uh, two of my coaches that were with me at, uh, at the university are the head coach and defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, both of them run. And they're running our stuff. So I go over there and look at the film, and, and I can get on their huddle and look at other, uh, you know, uh, schools, colleges. They got access to everything. Uh, so I, I kind of do that. Reminds you of Sid Gilman. You're a lifer, aren't you? <laughs> Uh, I guess hopefully the USFL or XFL kick off again and I get another four or five years in. That would be awesome. Well, Coach June Jones, uh, I really appreciate this. Learned a lot. I'm sure listeners will too. And and thank you so much. 
All right. Always good. Take care. Thanks. See you. Take care, Doug.